Welcome to the 14th episode of the What Happened Last Week in Kurdistan podcast. As always, this podcast is based on the newsletter, What Happened Last Week in Kurdistan. And if you go to our Instagram, whlw Kurdistan, you can find links to the newsletter as well as our Patreon, if you'd like to support us on there. I'm your host, I am Gilles Shouani, and today's episode is only one part. We are only going to talk about the news in this episode. We had an interview lined up, we were going to talk to the SEED organization, but unfortunately, due to some schedule clashes, we weren't able to conduct the interview, but we will have them on for next week. Anyways, we will start today with Rojava. So in Rojava this week, Russia is not happy with the US helping SDF. A Russian source has said that the US has given like 300 armed trucks to the SDF, and that's only in 2020. And they've also claimed that these weapons have been used on Turkish troops and civilians. Um, This is interesting for many reasons, right? Um, First of all, we want to know like which which civilians were harmed by the SDF forces. And even now, why is Turkey in Syria in the first place, right? All the news we hear is about Turkey's war against the regime and the large amounts of people and the large swaths of land that is exposed to the atrocities of war and we never hear news about the SDF. Now you can you can argue that perhaps the media does not want to cover the crimes of SDF. That is a fair argument. But you'd have to, you know, back up that claim, right? And so this claim that the Russians are making, how can they back it up? How can they back up that whatever arms that are given to the SDF is being used against Turkish troops and civilians. Turkish civilians are not in any areas where the SDF are. And Turkish troops who are in the areas where the SDF are, are attacking the SDF. So even if they were attacking back, that is a justified course of action, would it not? If someone is shooting at you, you would shoot back. Right? Anyways. Now, the other reason this is interesting is because it kind of seems like, uh, here's the thing, ever since everything happened in Syria, I've been trying to wrap my head around this. Turkey is neither here or there. They're not with the West, with NATO, and they don't seem to be with Russia either. Like, I don't understand. There was, there was a report last week, I believe, where Turkey um, asked for the US to help against Russian airstrikes. You know, they, they asked for certain anti-air missiles to be put on the border so that they can repel Russian airstrikes. And according to the report, the Americans refused that. And then the Turks said that we never asked for that. Anyways, um, so the America is not with Turkey, it seems, at least from those reports, it seems that way. And Russia is also not exactly helping Turkey. They're, ma- they're, they're pushing them to give in to their demands. What I'm trying to figure out this whole time is what the hell is happening with Turkey? Because they went from having the upper hand being the state in the Middle East that, had, that, held, that held all the cards to now being the state that is kind of, it's almost like it's being torn between the East and the West, right? Russia is trying to cox them, persuade them into giving into their demands. And America is arming 
the groups that Turkey considers enemies. This is really interesting to me. I really want to understand it better, but obviously, as things are moving forward, you know, every report, every little detail of the war kind of makes you think, huh, you know, you, you can never be sure. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out myself. If you guys understand it, let me know. Like, message us on our Instagram. But yeah, that is all the news from Rojava. We're going to move on to Bashur now, South Kurdistan, Iraq. So this week in Bashur, we're going to start with something relating to the PUK. They have finally, finally announced their leadership. Okay, and this is really great because we've been talking about it on the podcast for a while. And we talked about it, uh, I talked about it uh, last week as well. Things were not going the way they wanted regarding their conference and announcing their new leadership. But it seems after these, you know, shaky, turbulent two months, the PUK finally has announced their new leadership. And uh, it's a co-leadership. And the two co-leaders are Lahur Jangi and Bafal Talabani. And along with that leadership, they also announced their new manifesto. So their new way of going forward. Um, things were delayed for a couple of weeks after Khosrat Rasul put a halt to the progress before leaving the country, but this week he returned and the vote took place. And again, uh, if you listen to last week's podcast, you'll, you'll know why I think this is a good thing. It's because if we have a stronger PUK, we're going to have a stronger balance of power in the KRG, which could potentially lead to fairer governing in the KRG, because if one side does something bad, the other side will be quick to point it out because they want to, you know, they want to take over their ter- territory, they want to take over their, uh, you know, whatever they have, right? That's what I'm hoping will happen. However, <laughs> we could also see something else, which is they make a deal, you stay in your area, I stay in mine, I do whatever I want, you do whatever you want, and, you know, we'll just share the power in a in an independent way. Either of those two things happens. I hope it is the former, but we'll just have to wait and see. So next up on the list of news is peaceful protests ruined in several ways. Um, So this week there were peaceful protests taking place in regards to unemployment and lack of basic services, which is a problem that we've had forever, uh, it feels like, to be honest. It, we've had that problem forever. And while the protests themselves were a good thing, they just couldn't go without controversy. So, on the one hand, you had KRG officials, all right? And what they were doing was they were blocking the protests in Hawler, Erbil, Duhok, and Halabja without really giving a good reason for it, without really giving a valid reason for why these protests were being blocked. And really, it's a shame because. If we call ourselves a democracy, we have to allow for the democratic process to work. And a part of that process is these protests. People have a voice. They have a right to a voice. Now, I I realize saying that regarding the KRG, (laughs) um, it is a bit, you know, um, odd. Because the KRG is not known for it's freedom of speech, don't get me wrong, it's better than many other places in the Middle East, and I commend the KRG for that. They have done a good job in many ways compared to the rest of the Middle East, uh, like religious plurality, like ethnic plurality, and all that. 
And even freedom of speech, to some extent, is better than the neighbors. But these ministers, these government officials, these parties need to understand that peaceful protests will bring awareness and later aid in improvements to the region and at times the party itself. And it's just frustrating to see that it doesn't, it, it, that is not allowed to be held, these, these protests. Anyways, so onto the flip side of that, of that coin, the protests essentially are, as I said earlier, about the lack of services. We've had this problem for a long time. But now, it seems the head of the new generation party, Noe Nui, decided to get involved with threats that Kurdistan's protests would rock KDP and PUK, while firing other warning shots at both parties. Alright, let's get something straight, alright? First of all, these specific protests are aimed at improving people's lives. Derailing the subject does not help them. It's absolutely fine to hold KDP or PUK or anti-KDP and PUK protests, but then call it that. Don't just derail actual grievances. Don't just take away what people are fighting for for your own political benefit. That's wrong. Second of all, you're just like them. You do business on the side. You're in bed with several high-ranking officials, and you have been for the better part of two decades. You owe people money, and you decide to pay them in Chaviland theme park coupons. That is not a joke. He does that. And you're three months behind paying your staff's salary while suffering the same nepotism in your party that the KDP and PUK have. So what the point? I don't get this. It just, it, 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 it frustrates me so much that the level of hypocrisy in Kurdish politics. Jesus Christ. You have people, you have a grassroots movement. You have people actually getting up, you know, standing up for their rights, actually asking the government, hey, where's the electricity? Where's the water? Where's the basic services that we are owed? as a nation. And then you have this person, and he's trying to take advantage of that, of that movement for his own political benefit. Listen, I understand you're trying to, quote unquote, shake the establishment, you know, but you don't do that by, you don't do that by, by, by taking advantage of people's grievances. They, they're suffering. You're a billionaire. If you care so much about the people, do something. But of course he's not, because all KRG politics is the same. Oh boy. Alright, I'm going to move on from this before I blow my head off. So, moving on. Um, a few weeks back we talked about the KRG delegation that went about that, and it seems this week they have returned. Um, so this delegation, they traveled to Baghdad to meet with the new interim prime minister, Mohammed Tawfiq Alabi, to discuss the new cabinet, budget and security issues. And while certain issues went well, like the issues of budget and security that did actually go well, the topic of a new cabinet was, you know, it, 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 it didn't go the way KRG and the KRG delegation was kind of hoping for it to go. The, so after they talked with him, the Iraqi prime minister uh, warned that he would be selecting his own cabinet and his own cabinet members, and Kurdistan provinces weren't going to be any different to the rest of Iraq in terms of how he selects his cabinet. So essentially, KRG wanted some say in who goes into the Iraqi uh, government's cabinet, who would be their representation, which is a fair, which is fair. Um, but, you know, the, the prime minister wants to pick his own cabinet without outside influences. Um, I mean, obviously, I think the KRG should have a say in this, 
at least regarding their own representing members in the cabinet. So I don't know why the prime minister would deny them that right. Anyways, the relationship between the KRG and Baghdad has been turbulent at best uh, since the strengthening of KRG in 2003. I mean, it was at, at its best when Mamdel al-Talabani or Jalal al-Talabani was in Baghdad as the president of Iraq. But ever since ISIS, things have been really, really, even before ISIS, to be honest, things have just been very terrible. So this is just another block in the relationship improving. Now, the last two items of news regarding Bashur are both things that really boil my blood. All right, I'll start with the first. Coronavirus rumors cause panic. So this week, there were rumors of the coronavirus spreading in Kurdistan, and it really caused a large-scale a large scale panic among people both living in the KRG and actually people living outside the KRG. So I have family living there, and I have friends living there, and I have relatives living there. So for us, hearing those rumors obviously is really, really scary. Very, very scary. But it's not even that bad for us because there are people there who work there on a daily basis, who live there every day, who have to go to Bazaar every day for their work, who have to go to these offices every day for their work. And they were exposed to these rumors, right? So after these rumors were spread, the KRG had to make several statements denying the spread of the virus. In the region and ensuring the population that all measures had taken place while not a single case was existent in Kurdistan, which is really great. Like I said a, a while back on the podcast, it does seem to me that in certain regards, this new KRG cabinet is a bit more efficient. Efficient, And when it comes to the coronavirus, it seems like they are really working hard on that. I hope they are. So um, after all of that was you know, out in the open, it turns out that there may have been some bad intent, some malicious intentions with these rumors as the government later shut down 12 factories of mask productions in Erbil. And, the, you know, when I say mask uh, productions, I mean like those face masks you put on your face to avoid diseases or bacteria or vi- viruses, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, they, they shut down 12 factories that produce such masks in Erbil, in Hawler. And they were producing them and selling them for incredibly high prices, okay? And it came right after these rumors. So you have to, you have to, you have to think. These factories, who had started their production, or rather, have had raised their prices after these rumors were spread, is it possible that they were, they were responsible for spreading these rumors? It's very possible. Now, it's very sad, it's very pathetic to see people spreading chaos and mayhem in six million people and millions of people about something that serious, you know, spreading rumors about something that serious in order to just make a buck, to make a few dollars extra. You know what? It's a lot of money. I'm not going to deny that. They will be making a lot of money. But you know what? If that's what you're doing, you're a sad little person. You are a sad, sad little person taking advantage of a people who are already suffering to make some extra money. They're a pathetic, sad little person. Jesus Christ. Before I get to my next story, I just want to put out a trigger warning. The next story is about rape. So if that is something that you do not wish to hear about or listen to, 
please skip forward five minutes. So, on to the most nefarious, ugly item of news this week about South Kurdistan, about Bashur. The raping of a seven-year-old girl caused major controversy this week after it was revealed that the assault, the sexual assault, had taken place over a month ago and the culprits had been released. So, let's try to explain the events as they happened. (sighs) Honestly, there are certain items of news that are so harrowing. They're so, so, just so ugly, so hurtful to hear that sometimes on the podcast, I mention them, I talk about it briefly, and I move on because it would be enough to let you guys know what's happening, and it doesn't need more than that. It doesn't need more than that. This is not one of them. This needs all the attention it can get. The raping of a seven-year-old girl, and then the culprits being let go. A seven-year-old girl from Holir, Erbil, had been kidnapped and raped by a group of men. The timing of when exactly this happened is not clear. After the father found out, he took the case to court, and after medical checks had taken place, confirmed that the girl was in fact raped with several suspects arrested. Later on, however, the suspects were released and the judges seemed hesitant to continue with the case while the father started receiving threats unless he backed off the case. What kind of ugly world is this? Jesus Christ. Your seven-year-old daughter is raped and when you want to bring justice to her, you want to bring some justice into this world, you're threatened? And the judges, Jesus Christ, what? They should be stripped of their their titles. Well, this week, the man was brave enough to do a tell-all for the media, which caused an online uproar and prompted KRG officials to take action. Finally, finally, there's this Kurdish saying, okay? Basically, what it means is, and I'm going to relate it back to this. It basically talks about how certain things, certain individuals, certain people, certain entities and certain groups, whatever you want to call it, they will not come to action. They will not heed the call to action unless you kick them up the ass. That's what you got to do. Right? And it seems that's exactly what's happening here. These... KRG officials, who I'm sure to some extent were aware, these judges who are who were definitely aware, they refused to take action until the father, the brave father, came out and her daughter's and his daughter's defense made official and made public and made clear what had happened. At that point, these officials, these judges, they had no more options. They had to. Do something. They were kicked up their asses and they had to they had to actually do something about it. Now the Erbil governor, the Hawlid governor, announced that the suspects had been re-arrested, while also confirming that the Kurdish president, Prime Minister, and his deputy had all been in contact on this matter. This is good. This is good. The father later appeared on 
TV saying that the threats had stopped, while also revealing that he had been contacted by many high-ranking officials assuring him that justice will be served. This is really beautiful. Obviously, it would have been more beautiful if things had worked out this way from the start, but but they didn't. But I'm just glad things are kind of working out now. It would have been more beautiful of these 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 animals, these these just insufferable non-humans, didn't rape a seven-year-old girl. But it's good to see that it's getting the right kind of attention, and justice will in fact be served. So. What is all this chaos really about? If going by rumors, in this case actual story but not written in any article, a seven-year-old girl was raped by a gang of thugs, with one of them being a nephew of a high-ranking politician in Erbil, in Haulir. Since the case was far from the media limelight, they tried to hush the story, but couldn't anymore after the story erupted. This may not be a good day for justice, but I'm glad that that family might find some some form of justice and i hope whoever did this gets the harshest punishment available under krg law that was all the news from bashur i'm gonna move on now to bakur so on to the last bit of news for today we have some news from bakur north kurdistan turkey HDP to hold the fourth conference. So the pro-Kurdish party HDP is set to hold its fourth conference. Uh, here at the podcast, we'll try to discuss the results of the conference, hopefully in the next issues. But the information that we have now is that the conference will take place in Ankara, Ankara. And the candidates for leadership are Pervin Boldan and Midat Sanjar. Uh, we hope the, the conference goes well. We hope it's a success. We hope it goes a bit more smoothly than the PUK conference. And yeah, uh, we'll just we'll get you the news when when we have it. Other than that, we have no more news for this week, and we don't have an interview. But for next week, we're gonna have we're gonna have the Seed organization on, and we're gonna talk to them about the story of these this seven year old girl that we just mentioned, as well as other high profile cases of human rights violations and stories of people who have survived conflict and violence. Thank you all for listening to this episode. If you'd like to keep up with us, you can go to our Instagram, whlw-kurdistan. And from there, you can find links to the newsletter, the podcast, as well as our Patreon, if you'd like to support us on there. As always, I am your host, I'm Jir Shoani, and I hope you all have a great week. <laughs>